0: Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is My 70s TV Childhood. Welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood. We're the world's leading, if not the only, podcast about growing up as a child in the UK during the 1970s and the special part that television played in our and our families' lives back then. To begin with, I'd like to thank all of you for your kind messages and good wishes ahead of the UK Independent Podcast Awards Ceremony, which was held last week in London. Unfortunately, we didn't win the Best Film and TV Podcast Award, but it was lovely to be on the shortlist and to attend the awards ceremony, which was a great opportunity to meet other podcasters and to spread the word about my 70s TV childhood. You would have all been very proud of how nicely I smiled and applauded when the winner's announced and it wasn't us. We've also had lots of comments and suggestions via our bulging digital postbag, and particularly lots of listeners who are new to the podcast getting in touch, including Mark, Amanda, Andy, Doug, Michael, John, Simon, Ali, Emma, Colin, and many more of you. I'm so pleased that we're providing such entertainment and stirring such powerful memories for you all. As I've said before, it really makes the effort in producing the podcast worthwhile. So if you have any thoughts or comments, please do get in touch via our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com, find us on your favourite social media, or you can just email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Now one thing which made that recent awards ceremony memorable was the host for the evening, the excellent Esther Minito did a great job, and really importantly, made us all laugh. And that got me thinking about the importance of humour, and how different people see things differently. Some current comedians, like Ricky Gervais and Frankie Boyle, divide opinion as to whether they're funny or not, and similarly, certain subjects like race and disability are off-limits or need to be negotiated very carefully. Now there are plenty of people who also say that we're overly sensitive about these things as a society, and that in the good old days, meaning in past history, not the musical TV show from the City Varieties in Leeds, things were less guarded and, well, generally more funny. So I decided that we need to test this out a little bit. And what better way to do so than look at what was making us laugh in the 1970s? In previous episodes of the podcast, we've looked in some detail at sitcoms from the 1970s, some of which, like Dad's Army and Porridge, are still shown regularly on British TV, and others of which, like Love Thy Neighbour, rarely see the light of day. I suppose much comedy is of the moment, and it all dates very easily, and at the same time attitudes prevailing in society change, so that what might have been acceptable then certainly isn't now. Similarly, some of the most popular comic entertainers of the 1970s might not get the same response if they were starting out today. For example, it's hard to imagine ITV commissioning the Benny Hill Show today. Although actually, when you look at the likes of Love Island or the newly revived Big Brother, I may not be entirely correct in that logic. One thing which many of the great TV comedians of the 1970s did share was the fact that they started out on stage... The great British tradition of the music hall and light entertainment in theatres, pubs and clubs proved a rich source for television stars after the end of the war. Acts like Morecambe and Wise started out doing the hard yards in small working men's clubs and regional theatres. And it was a rite of passage for many entertainers, as these places used to feature a mix of musicians, singers, dancers, comics and all sorts of other acts, all of whom were trying to please what could be difficult and sometimes rowdy audiences. For our younger listeners and for those listening in other countries, it's probably worth explaining a bit about this, and in particular, what working men's clubs were, well, still are in some places, although their numbers and their membership numbers have declined dramatically. The working men's club was a product of the Victorian era. In the second half of the 19th century, these clubs began to spring up around generally where heavy industry was based. They were based on members paying subscriptions into a cooperative and they had various aims, such as providing a focus for political activity, for the education of their members and, most notably, a place for working men to relax and be entertained along with their wives and relatives. I say that, as for many years these institutions were very male-dominated and many of them continued to be so until the 1980s when membership gradually became more open to women. What's now quite hard to imagine is that clubs up and down the country were packed on a Friday and Saturday night with workers and their workmates enjoying a drink and a chance to relax and to catch up with family and friends. People used to dress up smartly and for many it was the highlight of the week. After a week of hard manual work in the factory or the foundry or down the pit the club offered a chance to relax and importantly to be entertained. Many of the members of these clubs were in well-paid, hard, industrial jobs and didn't have that much chance to spend their hard-earned cash, so some of the clubs were pretty well off and could afford to employ top talent to entertain their members. The clubs were also a place where women could go out to socialise and drink with their friends. The old town centre pubs, like the ones I first got to know in Warrington when I began my underage drinking career in the early 1980s, were not female-friendly to say the least. In my memory, they were large, dark rooms without much in the way of furniture, where groups of men stood around, indulging in vertical drinking after a hard day's work. Not somewhere where you'd necessarily take your wife or girlfriend. The clubs were a hard school for entertainers. In the 1960s, Paul Simon spent a couple of years playing the clubs of Northwest England and quickly learned how to keep audiences entertained as the alternative was to be booed off by the demanding audience who might be more interested in a game of bingo than a strange American singer at the piano. It was during this time that he famously wrote Homeward Bound after being marooned on Witness Railway Station after playing in a club there. But Paul Simon wasn't alone in playing the clubs, which saw big names from all over the world like Roy Orbison appearing regularly. A typical club night featured a compare who might also be the comic, some musical acts, a singer, a couple of rounds of bingo or dominoes, and the comic, who might sometimes be labelled as blue depending on how risque the actor and his material was. There were also novelty acts like ventriloquists or magicians you never quite knew. If any of you watched Peter Kay's wonderful homage to the northern club circuit Phoenix Nights, you probably get the idea. Clubs up and down the country were packed every weekend, with lots of Britons, having a great time, and they proved an escape from the increasingly bleak economic realities of the 1970s. So why didn't anyone try and reproduce this on television? Well, in 1974, Granada TV did exactly that. And they even had their own committee, whose chairman regularly interrupted proceedings with announcements.
1: Thank you, please, all round the room. That was our band rehearsing. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed it. First prize in the raffle tonight is a diving suit. (laughs) First prize in the raffle tonight is a divan suite. (laughs)
0: The Wheel Tappers and Shunters Social Club recreated a northern working men's club in a Granada TV studio, complete with stage, bar, food and drink, couples sitting around tables, lots of cigarette smoke, and a whole range of special guests, rather like a real working men's club. We've just heard the chairman, played by the comedian Colin Crompton, who would regularly interrupt proceedings by ringing a manual fire bell, which I always remember was just like the one we had at our primary school on the wall. And he'd make announcements, pronouncements from to the committee. Each episode will begin with a compare singing a song before introducing the lineup for the show. And here's the regular compare, none other than Byrne and Manning, opening up one of the episodes. He didn't have that bad a voice, did he? As compare, Bernard would introduce the acts and tell jokes in between. Now, most of the jokes he told were relatively clean and non-controversial, but there are some of them which I can't repeat on this podcast, but more on the role of the comics in a little while. The Wheel Tappers and Shunters actually had some pretty impressive guests, but also, a bit like the club circuit itself, it gave an opportunity for up-and-coming performers to get some exposure on television. Like this act from 1974.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, two young men that appeared here 15 years ago with very great success, so we just had to bring them back. <laughs> before they went on Opportunity knocks. Could I have your best attention for... Little and large! Now then, girls, before I bring Super Sid on, I must ask you not to rush the stays and rip his clothes off, because he's looking good tonight. Come on, Super Sid! The girls are ready! Now, it's your job to warm the girls up. Hey. Do your Elvis Presley. What are you going to do? I'm going to stay in the background. I don't want to spoil it. Where shall I start?
0: Over there.
1: Go on, there. Baby, let me be. What, what, what? You love me, Teddy Bear. What, what, what? Put a chain around my neck. Lead me anywhere.
0: Oh, let me be. Oh, let me be. Hey, oh, Teddy Bear. Oh, I don't want to be a tiger. What? The tiger's playing. What, what? I don't want to be a lion. A lion's taking you. you.
1: I love it all
0: little and large yes sid and eddie got their big break on wheel tappers and shunters after winning opportunity knocks and their career never looked back they went from years of hard grind on the club circuit to having their own prime time saturday night shows on itv and then on bbc1 now i don't want to be controversial but i never really got little and large the big fat funny one and the painfully thin straight man. But to give them their due, they were enormously popular for quite a long time. I've got audiences of over 10 million for their Saturday night shows. Maybe it shows how what we find funny does change over time. Other up and coming acts who got, first got their big breaks on the show included Cannon and Ball, The Doolies, The Grumbleweeds and Paul Daniels. So it did provide a route to stardom, just like the clubs used to. But the amazing thing about the show to me, looking back, was the enormous number of truly big stars they managed to persuade to come on the show, particularly famous American acts. Perhaps the Granada production team were very good at spotting when artists were on tour and persuading their managers that appearing on a UK TV entertainment show would be good for business. I'm not sure what most of the American stars made of finding themselves in a smoky, pseudo-working men's club in a studio in Manchester, but most of them went along with it. And seemed to enjoy the slightly bizarre experience.
1: We have to welcome. We'd like to welcome to the wheel tappers and shunters, ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest recording artists of our age. It's my very great pleasure and privilege to present Roy Orbison. the
0: The Wheel Tappers and Shunters Social Club has a unique place in UK TV history. I'm not sure there's ever been another show quite like it. It summed up a certain kind of British experience, and was reasonably popular during its run of six series ending in 1977 but it didn't quite get the full experience of a northern club across to the viewers. It would be very hard to convey the smell of smoke mixed with beer sodden carpets, lots of aftershave and perfume, and the quite frankly frightening audiences found in the real clubs at the time. But they did try, and they gave it a pretty good go. Granada knew that they were onto something in transplanting the essence of a working men's club night onto the television screen. After all, Thousands of people, as we said earlier, went to these clubs every weekend and had a great time. So to bring more of that direct experience into people's living rooms, Granada producer Johnny Hamp came up with a format which took one element of Clubland and devoted a whole show to it. And which element was that? The comedians.
1: Murphy says to Casey, what's that you've got in your hand? He says, they're cod's eyes. Two cod's eyes. He says, what are the four? Forgiving your brains. She's joking. They're a pound each. And they give you brain food. He says, I'll buy them off you for two pounds. He says, thanks. There you are. So I met him the next morning. He said, remember those cod's eyes you give me? I give you two pounds. He said, that's right. I could have bought 48 cod's eyes for two so pounds. There you are. They're starting to work right away. <laughs>
0: The Comedians was a very simple idea. Take several stand-up comedians for the working men's club circuit and record their routines in front of a live studio audience. And having done that, the performances were edited to switch between all of the featured comics to produce a quick-fire, non-stop, 30 minutes of comedy. It was simple, cheap to produce, and during the early to mid-1970s, extremely popular. But was it funny? And if so, is it still funny? We heard a bit of Frank Carson earlier, but a whole host of comedians featured on the show. Here's more from Bernard Manning.
1: This lad was always fighting in scraps. The police took him in the police station there and his mother came to see him. She says, Tony, what's the matter with you? Always a fighting and playing and through and terrible fights. It's shocking. He says, don't talk like that, mother. She says, I'm a working all the day to make a nice little home for you and your fathers are down the pit and he's working his fingers to the bones. What's the matter with you, Tony, she said. He said, don't talk like that, mother. She said, what do you mean, don't talk like that? He says, you're not Italian.
0: <laughs> we also had regular contributions from Charlie Williams, who is not only one of the first black comedians we heard from on British TV, but also one of the first black professional footballers to play in English leagues.
2: <laughs> oh, John, this is true, this. They were a little midget, you know, and a grand little fella... And he got on train at Donny and he was going to, to, well, he was going to Peterborough, but he got on this train and he's belting low and he said to, he said, there where we are. We off. They said, London. He says, I'm, I'm on a show at Peterborough. He said, well, we don't stop. He says, you'll have like to stop. He said, we don't. He says, you'll have to do. He said, well, I, he said, hold on, I'll, I'll go see. Driver, see what we can do for the old look. <coughs> so he said to the driver, he said, this midget is on a show at Peterborough. Can we help him? This is only one thing we can do. We'll slow down, going through the station. He said, and he says, fetch him here. So he says, come here. He says, look, cop. He says, Peterborough. He says, but we don't stop. He says, I oh, know, but I'm, he said, well, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. He says, we get in here. I'll slow the train down. He said, I'll pick the up with the scruff and neck. Hang the out the window and get the little legs going, see? So he does this and his legs are going. And he dropped him smack on Peterborough Station, he's going like, whoa! And God guard looked at and this. So he whipped him up, he says, bye gum, Danielle missed it that time, I was
0: <laughs> And how about a bit of politics from Welsh comedian Bryn Phillips?
3: No, actually, you read a lot about in the papers, you read a lot about different things in the papers, you read about heart transplants. Well, I was in the northeast of England about four weeks ago, and there were three fellas in the club having an argument. One was an American. He said, Mac, in the States we transplanted a kidney into a guy and three weeks later he was out looking for work. A Russian fella got up, he said, in Russia, we transplanted a heart into a patient. Two weeks later he was out looking for work. A little Yorkshire fella got up, he said, I'll tell thee what. (laughs) He was a Welsh Yorkshireman, this fella was. (laughs) We transplanted a fella from Huddersfield into 10 Downing Street. Three weeks later there were 200,000 out looking for work.
0: For those who didn't get it, the reference is to Prime Minister Harold Wilson. So a little bit of politics, as Ben Elton would later say, was a main source of comedy even then. The show provided a platform for lots of club comedians, many of whom went on to become household names like Russ Abbott, Jim Bowen, Mike Reed, Roy Walker and Mick Miller. But alongside that, there were also some slightly strange comedians, like Ken Goodwin.
1: (laughs) And, and what about this woman that come running out of the bank screaming mu- blue murder? And, um, and this policeman said, what's up? She said, an elephant's just been in and robbed the bank. He said, will he recognise it again if you see it? She said, no, it had a stocking over his head. <laughs> <laughs> Mariah
0: Now, I'm not sure what happened to Ken, but he seemed to disappear without trace after a brief moment of fame in the comedians. And of course, alongside that, we had a whole horde of Liverpudlian comics, like Stan Boardman, Vince Earle, later to become Ron Dixon on Brookside, and Tom O'Connor.
3: But it's wrong, isn't it? It's wrong. I mean and, and people people, you know, today, they, they've got they've got a funny outlook today. I mean, people in Liverpool, for instance, think that all comedians are gonna get up and skip the dockers, you know. And this is wrong because I don't know whether you've heard, but in Liverpool things are slack on the docks now, and fellas are taking stuff back. And <laughs> this is true, you know. I mean there's a big a big American got off the boat with a big hat and a cigar, you know, here's me cigar, the rest of me's coming, and he's walking up the road and there's a big circle of dockers like that. And in the middle on the floor, there's an old fella. <laughs> The young said, What's wrong with him? He said, He wants to go to the toilet. He said, Where doesn't he go? They said, In his dinner hour. But they don't understand this, do they? They don't. They don't, no. Look at the poor old soul. Went to the parish priest. He said, Father, I'm dying of neglect. I've got no gas, no coal, no food. What am I gonna do? The priest said, You want to ask God to help you? He said, I will. So he wrote a letter to God. Dear God, I'm stuck for a few bob. If I had a hundred quid, it'd look after me for the rest of my days. And he put it in an envelope. God, care of heaven, stamp.
2: <laughs>
3: and the fellow in the GPO opened it up. He said, look at that, the poor old soul. So they had a collection for them. They got £95, sent it back. He was delighted. He wrote back, dear God, thank you for the miracle. I know I asked for £100 and only 95 came, but it's probably one of them Robin swines in the post office. <laughs>
0: So are you rolling with laughter after those excerpts? Perhaps not. And I think that's probably because stand-up comedy, as we now call it, is very much of its time. True, the jokes included stereotypes of Irish people, Italians, people of reduced stature, Liverpool dockers, and of course women. And there are a few jokes that I've come across in my research that I couldn't really play on this podcast. But some others, like... Ken Goodwin's elephant robbing the bank joke are more timeless, really. In a way, I think it's a bit unfair to judge yesterday's jokes with what we find funny today because Britain is a very different place to what it was in the 1970s. And even looking back over a shorter time period shows how quickly comedy can age. I think the comedians in the Wheeltappers and Shunters Social Club are period pieces which need to be seen in context, but are no worse for being that. In a way, they came from a time when people lived tough lives, shorter lives, and they needed some relief from the difficulties which Britain faced in the 1970s. Comedians make you laugh in the moment, and I think that's where we should best enjoy them. Will we still be laughing at today's stand-up comedians in another 40 years? Well, I'm not sure, but I'd like to hope I'll be around to see.
1: Two astronauts came out of this pub on the moon. Well sloshed they were. One said, that's the last time I got in there. He said, why? He said, there's no atmosphere.
0: (laughs) Does the Wheel Tappers and Shunters Social Club bring back happy memories for you? Or did you hate it? Similarly, the comedians. Let me know on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com via social media or by emailing me oliver at my70s tv childhood.com. That's all we've got time for this week. We'll be back with the next installment of our quiz next week, and then with another regular podcast episode in a fortnight. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts, and join us again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood.